Emmaus, if you would, take your Bible and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Hasn't changed, has it? Is that still right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Dr. Gambo? No, it's good. Okay. 2 Thessalonians right. 3. Kids, pre-K through first grade, remember this is first Sunday of the month, so you guys are going to stay in here. You're going to have a fantastic, fantastic sermon. At the end, Dr. Gambo is going to provide some opportunities for us to respond to the word that's being preached. So I want you to know that, Emmaus. He's going to lead us in an invitation, and then we'll stand up and sing one of our favorite songs here that we've seen together. And during that time, if God's leading you to respond, we want you to be able to do that. Brother, thanks for being here to preach the word for Thank us. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1 and 2. I'm speaking on a topic I titled, Kingdom-Focused Prayer. Kingdom-focused prayer, 2 Thessalonians 3 from verse 1 to 2. Thank you very much, Brother Owen, for this wonderful privilege and opportunity to be here. I really appreciate the work you're doing at OBU. I think you've made a huge difference, uh, Oklahoma Baptist generally, at OBU, and it's a delight and a privilege for me. And when I think about how uh, the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist has really contributed to my training in seminary, Anytime I get an opportunity to preach in a Baptist church, I always want to say thank you for supporting the cooperative program. It actually makes a huge difference in the lives of so many of us that went to seminary and were trained. So I want to seize this opportunity to say thank you for supporting the cooperative program and also supporting OBU. We really thank God for what you're doing. Uh, yesterday I did a D-Now. I just ended a D-Now at our church back in Tecumseh. So let me just give a heads up to my young friends here uh, to help them to uh, get used to my accent. This is a different accent. And so um, some years back, I did a D-Now at uh, a church in Texas. And um, after the first night of the D-Now, a young lady came to me and she said to me, Preacher, uh, during your sermon, you said there are two types of reindeers. What are they? I said, two types of reindeer, what are they? I, and she said, that's what she was asking me. What are the two types of reindeer? And I felt, well, this is April, it's not December, so I'm, I couldn't have been talking of Rudolph, was I? I mean, why are you talking about reindeer here? And so I said, well, I really don't know. I can't remember saying there are two types of reindeer, but if I did, I am so sorry. Why don't you compare your notes with your colleagues and probably you'll know what I said. So the next day she met me in the morning and she was like, oh, I know what you said. You actually said there are two types of surrender. <laughs> so surrender reindeer. I mean, so sometimes I speak for fast and for the sake of accent. So just you have to listen carefully in order to be able to pick. So that at the end of the day, there are no two, re two reindeers. They actually surrender. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be here to share your word and to speak about missions and prayer. Thank you because you said my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, I thank you for Emmaus Baptist Church and I thank you for the focus on missions. Thank you for what you're doing here and thank you for the missionaries you have sent overseas to serve the cause of the gospel. Lord, I give you praise and I ask that you breathe through me and you speak through me, I ask that your spirit would just fill this place with your power. Grant me clarity of speech and utterance. I pray that, Lord, you open hearts to listen to your word and to receive it by the power of your spirit. Thank you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. 
Some years back, I read the story of Judge Mueller of Bristol, one of the, my favorite heroes of the faith is this guy by the name Judge Mueller of Bristol. If you have the opportunity to read a biography, read the biography of Judge Mueller of Bristol. He was known as a man of faith and as a man of prayer. One occasion in his life that I read, I was moved, and it really led me to develop a prayer life, was that account of him traveling to Quebec to preach the gospel. On this occasion, he had to cross the sea to get to Quebec to preach the gospel. And he was uh, sailing, and they had to stop sail because there was a dense fog that covered the sea, and they couldn't move. And so they were there, stranded for 24 hours. The ship was not moving. And then Judge Mueller got up and went to the captain of the ship and said to him, Captain, I must be in Quebec by Saturday morning. I have a preaching engagement. The captain looked at him and was wondering from which lunatic asylum did this guy escape from. Can't you see? There's a dense fog that has covered the sea. We can't move in this. Can't you see? And Judge Mueller said, I don't see the dense fog because my eyes are fixed on the God that can do the impossible. And he said, Captain, I have preached the gospel for more than 57 years and God has never disappointed me. Come, let's pray. So they went down to the chat room, and he prayed a simple prayer. He said, Lord, I'm pleading and I'm asking you to take out the fork. Simple prayer. And then when he got done, the captain wanted to pray, and he said, there is no need for you to pray. Thank God you're a Christian, but there's no need for you to pray. Why? Because God has already answered. Captain, get up and look. The captain got up and looked up, and guess what? The entire fog that covered the sea vanquished. And on Saturday morning, Judge Mueller of Bristol arrived for his preaching engagement. That account changed the entire life of that captain. He had never seen in his life a man say a word of prayer and immediately receive an immediate answer that changed his life forever. Judge Mueller is known as a man of prayer if you read so many biographies, you see that. You see so many accounts of his prayer life and how he built one of the biggest orphanages in England without asking for a dime. All he needed to do was to go to his knees and pray, and God will provide miraculously. If you think, if you think about prayer, one of the things that I want to say about prayer is that those who change the course of history in Bible time and even in today's day, are people of prayer. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, when He walked this earth, He was a man of prayer, the Bible says. He prayed during His baptism. He prayed before He started His mission. He prayed before He chose His disciples. He prayed during His ministry. He prayed before going to the cross. Even at the cross, He prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer because He knew that through prayer, God is able to do the impossible. We talk about Paul, the greatest theologian. What made Paul great? Was it his theological wisdom? Was it his mind? No doubt Paul was a theologian par excellence, but it wasn't his brilliant mind that made Paul the greatest missionary. 
I don't believe that it was his personality. We, yes, we know that Paul wasn't, having, wasn't that winsome person. He wasn't a charismatic figure. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that the church in Corinth mocked at his speaking. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't a winsome person. Uh, person. But so what made Paul incredible in ministry? What made him the greatest missionary? I believe that what made Paul a great missionary was his devotion to kingdom-focused prayer. Kingdom-focused prayer prioritizes eternal things, not temporal things. Because prayer makes a difference for eternity, we need to prioritize kingdom-focused prayer. Paul was a man of prayer, and he had so many churches that were praying for him. If you look at the letters of Paul, you will come to see that one of the things that Paul was constantly doing was asking or partnering with churches to pray for him. You see that in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15 to 23, he asks the church in Ephesus. He prays for them in the beginning of the letter. He prays that wisdom and grace and the spirit of enlightenment will be granted to them. And then in chapter 6 from verse 18 to 19, he prays, he asks the church in Ephesus to pray for him that utterance may be granted him to preach the gospel. You see that in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 3, he prays for the church in Colossae, that the church in Colossae would grow in their love and in their faith and in the gospel. And then in chapter 4 verse 3, he asks the church in Colossae, pray for me. Pray that God will grant me grace to speak boldly the mystery of the gospel. So throughout his epistles, you will see him praying for the church and then asking the church to pray for him. He partnered with churches to, in prayer. In the book of Thessalonians, we see the same thing. For example, in, first, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, from verse 11 to 12, here's what he says. Therefore... We also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed for them at the beginning of the letter. And then he addresses two problems with the young persecuted church. And in the final chapter, which is the text that we're considering today, listen to what he says in chapter 3 from verse 1 to 2. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Finally, brethren, pray for us, he says, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. It's a call for kingdom-focused prayer. Paul issues this call in verse 1. He says, pray for us. He's asking. It's an imperative. It's, he is asking for daily, continuous prayer. He's saying, keep on praying for us. At this time, Paul and his colleagues were serving in ministry, planting the seed of the word in Corinth. They were preaching the gospel, and he knew that he needed prayers to be able to sustain the work of the gospel. And so he tells them in, in Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, pray for us. Pray for us. We need your prayers. If this gospel is going to spread, if our work is going to be tangible and be successful, we need prayer. And so he says, pray. 
Prayer reveals our dependence on the power of God and not on our own wisdom or persuasion. In Paul's mind, there is no church success without prayer. In Paul's mind, there is no church plant without prayer. In Paul's mind, there is no missionary work without prayer. And so he says, pray for us. We're toiling, we're laboring in the gospel. We need your prayers. Addressing the United States Congress of his evangelism meeting in Minneapolis, Harold Lindsell, one of the founding members of Fuller Theological Seminary, here's what he said to the Congress. He says, you and I are called upon to communicate the gospel, to evangelize the world, and all of the power that we need for these can be found in prayer. He goes on to say, if you look to education, you get what education can do. If you look to eloquence, you get what eloquence can do. If you look to armies, you get what armies can do. If you look to diplomacy, you get what diplomacy can do. But if you look to prayer, you get what God can do. Can you say amen? If you look to prayer, he says, you get what God can do. It's time for the church to look up to God. It's time for the church to cry unto God. We have no power on our own. The world is against us. We need no one else but God. We need you, God. We need you, God. Paul knew that, and he says to them, pray. Pray for us. Pray for us, he says. Paul believes in prayer. That is why he asks the church to pray for him. And then what Paul does in this very text, we, he, he goes on to tell us that kingdom-focused prayer has to be specific. It's not just a generic prayer. He uses two uh, uh, clauses, two uh, subordinate clauses to state to us the prayer request in this text. So two purpose clauses to mention the prayer request. The first request, he says, pray for the message of the gospel to prevail. Pray for the message of the gospel to prevail. Look at what he says in verse 1b. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. In other words, for the message of the gospel to advance, there must be prayer. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may run. Normally, it's the messenger that runs. Here we see Paul saying that the message runs. He's saying, pray that the message runs. He's actually pulling the idea here, the imagery here is of an athlete in the stadium that is running to win a goal. An athlete that is competing for a crown, for a prize. But in this case, he's applying it to the Word, to the logos, to the revealed Word of God. And the idea actually comes from Psalm 147, verse 15, where the psalmist speaks of the Word of God running with advancing power and progress. So what Paul is saying is pray that the Word of God moves with power and penetrating effect. That's his, that's his appeal. That's his prayer request. Pray for the message of the gospel to prevail. The Thessalonians were to pray because he knew that it was the power of prayer that brought them to their knees, and he knew that their prayers will impact his service in Corinth, and so he says, pray. It's not that the Word of God is powerless. The Bible tells us the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, Scripture says. It's a double-edged sword. The Word of God is powerful. The seed is so powerful. It's incorruptible. So the, we're praying not because the Word is powerless, 
But we're praying because the hearts of men. We're praying because the soil can be tough to cultivate. Jesus gives us a parable of the sower that goes on to plant. And he talks about the, the sower who planted. He said there are four types of soil. Out of the four types of soil, three of them were not fertile. Two, three of them were not good. The first soil, he says, the, he was trying to demonstrate or to illustrate to us the hindrances to the gospel. We see him in that parable. And he says the first hindrance is what? Spiritual hindrance. He says the seed that fell upon the road were, were, were seed that plant were dropped by the sower there, but the birds of the air came and picked them up. And he says the, bird of the birds of the air, he interprets it to be Satan and the forces of darkness. In other words, there are spiritual hindrances to the gospel. Paul talks about this. He says, if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost, in whom the gods of this world had blinded their eyes. So we need to pray that those gods, those principalities, those powers of darkness that are blinding the eyes of the people, that God will shred the veil and open the eyes to see the glorious gospel of Christ. So we need to pray against spiritual hindrance to the gospel. Because there's so many hindrances in the gospel that prevents people from listening to the Word of God. The second soil Jesus talked about, he said, there the soil, that's the seed that fell among thorns. And they heard the Word of God, but the pleasures of this world, the desire for success and riches, choked the seed that it withered away, it died. Is that not what we're seeing in our culture today? pleasure, entertainment, all of these things are hindering the furtherance of the gospel. Some years ago, I think some years ago, uh, Brother Owen, I preached in Texas. And uh, uh, before the sermon, I mean, the service was to start around 10.30. And uh, before I got to, the, uh, to preach, a gentleman came to me and said to me, I'm glad you're preaching today, but I just want to let you know the Dallas Cowboys start playing at noon, so don't go too long. <laughs> he told me the Dallas Cowboys are playing, so don't preach too long. And I hope you're not asking the same question today, are you? But again, for as far as he's concerned, he just wants to caution me, and I thank God for that, brother. I mean, I have nothing wrong against that. I love the Dallas Cowboys, amen? But the problem is he's just, trying, <laughs> he's just trying to let me know that you may be preaching the Word, and the minds of your people are far away thinking about the game. And that's true. We preach the word, there's so many hindrances like that, pleasure, entertainment that is choking the minds of our people. That's why you and I need to pray that those hindrances will be cleared. The other soil Jesus talks about is the, the, the solid ground, the rocky ground. Some seed fell on rocky ground because of the hardness of the ground. The, the seed could not penetrate. And so we have a lot of people that have a hardened heart. We need to pray that God will soften their hearts and open their hearts to the gospel. Yesterday, I preached in a D-Now, and one young lady made a profession uh, to rededicate her life. She stepped out, and when she was talking with me, she said, I wanted to pray for my father. My father's heart is too hard. His heart is as hard as a rock. He is physically abusive. He's going through the depression. He doesn't care about the gospel. He wants nothing to do with the gospel. He, his heart is hard. That's an example of what I'm saying. 
There are so many people with hardened hearts, but for their hearts to be softened, we need to pray. The church needs to pray. And these are hindrances to the gospel. And Paul is calling the church in Thessalonica, pray, pray that the message of the gospel would prevail. Again, not because the message is, power, the message is not powerful, but because the hearts of men, you're fighting for the hearts of men. Prayer lays hold on the power of God, which alone can overcome difficulties. Jeremiah 32 verse 27 says, I am God. Is there anything too hard for me? Ask me, God is saying, and I will move on your behalf. The church of Jesus Christ needs to awake. We need to pray that the gospel in our communities, in our families, in our nation, in our culture, all over the world, that the word of God will move with power. We need to be praying constantly for the Lord to grant our missionaries success in gospel presentation. Listen, people may reject our message. They may oppose our arguments. They may despise us, but they are powerless against our prayers. They are powerless. We have a calling, and our calling is to pray. You may not go to the mission field. You may not be called to go to the mission field, but brother, you're called to pray. I may not be called to travel overseas as an IMB missionary, but I can pray. Prayer is, a, is something that you can do. You may not be rich enough to give money to sponsor missionaries and to fund mission field, but you can pray. You and I can pray for missionaries. Not only were they to pray for the message to prevail, they were also to pray for the messengers to be preserved. Pray for the messengers of the gospel to be preserved. Look at verse 2. He says, Pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. If the enemy is not able to succeed in stopping the message, he will direct his arsenals toward stopping the messenger. If you cannot resist the message, then you attack the messenger. This is a concept here, and Paul is saying, if they cannot stop the word, they will try to hinder the messengers. So pray. Again, he describes the opponent of the gospel with two strong adjectives. He, he says they are unreasonable and they are wicked. Unreasonable and wicked. We live in a world where there is a lot of wickedness. Look at the horrendous videos we see from Al-Qaeda and ISIS, how they are slaughtering missionaries everywhere. When I think about my country, Nigeria, and the issue of Boko Haram, how many people, churches were burned down because of the gospel in the in northern part of Nigeria. My, a friend of mine last year told me of what happened with their ministry back in northern part of Nigeria. They went and preached the gospel there. In the, it's pr predominantly Islamic in that place. And a young lady, Muslim lady, came to faith. She came to faith and answered the call to ministry and was serving with the organization and her family disowned her. The whole community was against her. She was beaten and raped and brutally left to die. The ministry picked her from that northern Nigeria and brought her to the central place, and, and she was in the hospital for months to recuperate. When she recuperated, they told her, we're going to find a job for you. Your family has disowned you. You can't go back to the north. We'll find a job for you here. You stay here, and it will be safe here. And did you know what she said to them? I am going back. If I stay there, who will take the gospel to my people? 
If I stay here, who will take my gospel, the gospel to my people? I'm going back. Here was a young lady that was raped. Here was a young lady who was abused. But yet, because of the power of the gospel, she said she's taking the gospel to our people. That's what it means to answer the call. But we need to pray for protection. Our missionaries are in the front lines. They are attacked. My wife was deported as a missionary to Egypt some year in 2010 when she was serving as a missionary there. Because of the gospel, she was deported back to America for that. So many missionaries are in the field. They're in danger. There's a lot of wickedness. Two years ago, you heard the story of the 17 missionaries, uh, Mennonite missionaries that were kidnapped in Haiti by a gang in Haiti, and they were re requesting $17 million for ransom. Unreasonable, wicked people. If they can't stop the message of the gospel, they'll try to stop the messenger. So what are you and I supposed to do? Pray for the messengers. Intercede daily for deliverance. Paul knew that because his stay in Thessalonica was cut short because of persecution. He had to flee. And so he knows of it, and he's reminding the church in Thessalonica, pray for us that God will deliver us from unreasonable and, and, and wicked men. Because, and then he gives us a reason why he's doing that. He gives us a little reason there. He gives us a causal cross. Why? Because not all men have faith. Not all men have faith. You and I may bow to the authority of the word, but not everybody. There's people out there that are seeking to destroy Christianity. Think about even in our culture, the rise of atheism. Think about agnosticism. Think about all that we're seeing, the garbage we're seeing in our culture today. These are things that should cause concerns in our heart. It's time that the church of Jesus Christ awake. It's time that we begin to pray. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's time the church of Jesus Christ awake. If we are to go back to the place of prayer, we will see what God will do. Paul prayed, and he saw the hand of God move in a, an unprecedented way. We need intercessors in our day. Yes, we should give to missions, but more, more, more than giving to missions, we need to intentionally pray for missionaries. Kingdom-focused prayer makes a difference for eternity. But for the message of the gospel to prevail and for the messengers of the gospel to be preserved, the church of Jesus Christ must depend on the Spirit through prevailing prayer. One reason why many Christians don't pray is not because they don't want to pray, it's because they don't even have a prayer plan. That's one reason why many people don't pray. Not because they don't want to pray, because they don't have a prayer plan. The Lord convicted my wife and I about this issue of praying. And so we, we, we adopted a, a process in which we pray regularly for missionaries. We have chosen to pray for six missionaries and six lost people in our community. And I believe every one of you knows at least one or two missionaries, or at least you have lost people that you know. My wife and I decided to pray for six missionaries and then six lost persons. And how we do it in a, in a very simple way. We took six index cards, and in the front of an, a card, we put the name of a missionary or a family, and behind, we put a lost person. So we have six cards, and each day of the week, we use a card. Today is Monday. We pray for this missionary, and we pray for what? The lost person. During dinner, because that's the time all of us sit together in a meal, before we pray over the meal, we just go through our prayer cards. We're teaching our children the impact of praying for missionaries and lost people. That's a simple way. You can do that. You eat meals, don't you? 
You eat dinner as a family, don't you? You can do something as simple as that. And we, the church can provide you with names of missionaries. So when we are talk, we're talking of praying specifically for missionaries, not just generic. We're not talking of, oh, God bless all the missionaries in the world. That's good, but you can do better. Call missionaries by name. Paul was specific. He said, pray for us, and then he goes on to give us specific prayer requests that he would want to pray for. Some of the missionaries we pray for daily are serving in Yemen with IMB. Last year, last year they sent us a prayer request. Some of the, the members of their team, that local, locals in Yemen that came to faith and were trained to serve and preach the gospel were arrested by the, by the government and were imprisoned for six weeks. They kept on asking us to pray every day. They kept on asking us to pray because they know that those arrested for the gospel in this situation hardly come out from prison. And we intensified our prayer, and we intensified our prayer. Within six weeks, God performed a miracle, and those missionaries, those guys were set free by the government. And it's amazing. But you see, as you keep in touch with missionaries in the field, you hear stories that will blow your mind. You see God answering prayer, and that motivates you to pray more. We need to stay in touch with our missionaries. I plead with you. I, my parents served as missionaries all their life, and I know what it means, the power of prayer for missions. It's important that the church of Jesus Christ uh, wake up to this idea of not just sending money to missions, but also praying. That's what helped Paul's ministry. Pray effectively. You can adopt the, the prayer that my family does, or you can form your own way of praying, but we just need to pray and be intentional and be specific when we pray for, prayer, for missionaries. I challenge you today to go home and make your own list of missionaries and lost people that you know. Every one of us has a lost person. Pick up your top five or your top six or whatever, but you, they are lost people that need to hear the gospel. You can pray for them. The second thing I would recommend or encourage the church to do is to use the midweek prayer meeting for prayer, not for Bible study. Most of the times, uh, we, we say we have midweek service, but our midweek service is actually Bible study or another teaching section instead of a prayer session. It's supposed to be a time for prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He didn't say my house shall be called a house of preaching. Again, I have no, I'm not, I'm not trying to relegate preaching. I mean, I teach students preaching. I love preaching. But more than preaching, Jesus taught his disciples more about prayer than preaching, amen? The church needs to go back to, yes, we should preach. I'm not saying we should not, but we need to prioritize prayer because in prayer we see the hand of God move in unprecedented way. So I would challenge the church. We need to pray and pray more than just generic prayer, more than just self-centered prayer to in, into kingdom-focused prayer. I've done a lot of interims uh, while at OBU in so many churches, and, and, and it's surprising, Pastor, when you see the bulletin, what is, the, what is in the, the prayer list in the bulletin in so many ch of our churches. Many of the things you see there is uh, pray for the sick, pray for our children, pray, and there's nothing wrong in praying for sick people. The Bible says we should pray for sick people, pray for our children. The Bible says we should do all of these things. But if that is all we do, then I think 
we need to rethink kingdom-focused prayer. Someone said rightly, today's church is spending more time praying to keep saints from going to heaven than praying to keep sinners from going to hell. Think about it. Is that not what we see in our prayer bulletin? We pray a lot for the saints, and that's why he says today's church is filled with prayer lists for saints, to, keeping saints from going to heaven and sinners from going to hell. We need to prioritize the lost. We need to prioritize missionaries. We need to pray that the Word of God will be powerful. So let's utilize the midweek prayer meeting. As a church, let's gather together and lift up missionaries. Every church should adopt at least five or six or ten missionaries that you're constantly, as a church, lifting them up to God in prayer, just like the church in Thessalonica did for Paul. We need churches. We need families. We need persons to commit to intentional prayer because Prayer makes a difference for eternity. Yes, we should pray for the sick and our families. Yet, we should pray for all this, uh, these urgent needs. But praying for missionaries is so important. Jesus, in fact, in his, all his teaching, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, what did he do? A lot of the times he emphasized kingdom-focused prayer. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. The first three petitions in the, king, in, in, his, in the Lord's Prayer are focusing on what? Kingdom business before the last three focusing on our own needs. Why? Jesus is trying to teach us that priority matters. The most important thing is kingdom-focused prayer more than my own self-centered prayer. Again, he's not saying I should not bring my requests and my petitions to God, but we should go more than that. In Matthew chapter 9, you see from verse 36 to 38, the Bible says, And when Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they, have, they fainted and were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his vineyard. Jesus said, pray. When he saw the need of the day, he said to his disciples, pray. Jesus himself called his disciples to pray. He says, pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his vineyard. And I'm pleading with us as a church, as a family, as a person, we need to pray for missionaries because prayer makes a difference. It saves them from the hands of unreasonable men. It saves them from the hands of Satan. It saves them from the attacks that are coming and the onslaughts of Satan and the powers of darkness. It makes a difference. We're going to set free people from the chains of darkness. It opens the gates for people to walk into the kingdom of God. Prayer makes a difference. The church needs to pray. And maybe you're even here today. You're not a follower of Jesus. Well, did you know that someone actually prayed for you to be here? You're here because maybe a grandma or a grandpa or maybe your pastor or someone prayed for you to be here, and that's why you're here today. In answer to God, it's to someone's prayer. And so for you to start thinking of kingdom-focused prayer, the first thing you need to do is to consider and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. First of all, get into the kingdom before you can do what? Kingdom-focused prayer. 
Jesus said, unless a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So possibly you're here today. I'm going to give you time to respond to the gospel in a minute. But I'm going to ask you this question. You are here because someone prayed for you that you will come to the end of yourself, repent of your sins, and put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you're here today. During the time of invitation, I will ask you to respond to the gospel because that is what it means. Someone has prayed for you, and the kingdom of God has come right before you, and it's time for you to make a decision. But I want to close with this and just challenge the church to say, if there is one thing, and just hear me coming from a person that I've been in the mission field, I've seen mission field, I mean, first-hand experience, I'm telling you, if there's any need that missionaries need today, we need people. We need people, churches, to pray for us. Yes, we need young people to surrender to the call to ministry. Yes, we need some of you. That's maybe your call. God may say, you go to ministry. Young people, answer the call. It took me years to answer the call to ministry when God called me. And my desire was to be a medical doctor because of money. That was all I wanted. And God kept on calling me to ministry. I kept on resisting. But thank God, I'm so happy today that I finally just let go of my life to him. And I'm so pleased and I'm so happy that I answered the call to ministry. Maybe in your case, that's your situation. God is saying, answer the call to ministry and you're resisting. And God is saying, come, I want you to serve me as a missionary. Maybe that's the way God wants you to respond. Maybe God wants you to respond by giving financially. There are different ways that you can respond. But one way that I know all of us can respond is that we can all pray for missionaries. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. This is a time that God has given us an opportunity to pray. Pastor Owen is here to join me here. If you're here and you have not made a decision for Jesus Christ, you have not repented of your sins, while they sink and all heads bow, I will invite you to take that step of faith to come up here. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you have not been born from above, if you are not a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to respond and come and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Or if you're here and you are a believer and you have resisted the call to ministry, God has put in your heart that he wants you to serve as a missionary in the field, but you are afraid because of the dangers and the tribulations in ministry. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Come. We want to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. So if you're here and you've not made Jesus your Lord, come. If you're here and you're called to ministry, you feel the nudging of the Spirit to answer the call to missions, come. We're going to wait for you. We're going to pray with you.